welcome to The Math of You, a podcast about formative media from when we were young. I'm Lucas Brown. On this, our 43rd episode, I'll be talking to David James Young, musician, music critic, and podcaster, about the power of music videos. Along the way, we'll discuss the chameleon that is Dave Grohl, how two Elvis impersonators having breakfast can save a mediocre song, and how nearly every Australian teen of a certain age has had a trashy gurge phase. We'll finish the show with our signature cocktail and let you know how you can become a guest on The Math of You. Editor's note. David was really accommodating and actually came over to my house to record. However, that meant we were recording in my dining room, which had a lot of reflective surfaces. And because David is someone whose enthusiasm is incredibly powerful and incredibly infectious, we kind of blew our levels about halfway through the episode. So fair warning if you listen to this on headphones. Additionally, while we've earned our explicit tag many times over, this one gets sweary in a way that most of ours don't, so fair warning. It's also maybe the hardest I've laughed of any episode that I've done. So with that in mind, we join this conversation already in progress. What makes you a beautiful and unique snowflake? Oh, Christ. I'm a triggered, libtard, cock snowflake. <laughs> I'm beautiful, Daisy. I don't know. I'm just... <laughs> I've been triggered, man. Okay, who am I? I'm, I'm David James Young. I'm 26. I live in Australia, as you can tell by my voice. All my shit basically involves music. I'd say a 90% of my life, a good chunk of it. I am a music journalist primarily, so interviewing bands and musicians, going to see bands and musicians, and reviewing bands and musicians' work, either performed or recorded, and I've been doing that since 2008 with some degree of regularity. I've been playing music since I was 14. I started playing in bands in high school, and I've been a solo artist for about seven years wait no eight years fuck it's been even longer (laughs) almost eight years now i do two podcasts of little renown and i fill my days with my shit just writing heaps and getting out to shows and yeah making my podcast when i get the chance to do that and writing music and yeah like basically just kind of pursuing the stuff that i've been interested in pretty much since I was a teen, like, even younger, like, you know, music has been a part of my life since I was, like, three or four years old, so, you know, it's kind of all I've ever known how to do, all I've ever known what to do, the only thing I've been remotely good at in my entire life, so that's what I do, and that's why I'm a triggered, libtard, cuck snowflake. Daisy. So I know about the All My Friends Are In Bar Bands podcast, Yeah. the other one? Okay, so... There's a radio station in Australia called Triple J, and since in back in okay, this would have been 1988 or 1989, they did something called the Hottest 100, which is where they got people to vote in for their favorite songs. So for the first few years of that, it was 
your favorite songs of whatever year. The first two were won by Joy Division, Love Will Tear Us Apart. And then in 1991, it was won by Smells Like Teen Spirit, because of course it was. From there, in 1993, they brought it back and made it, well, technically 1994 by the time it had happened. So it happened in January 1994. The voting process was that you could only vote for the songs that came out that year. So 1993. That was won by Asshole by Dennis Leary. (laughs) <laughs> True story. <laughs> Creep by Radiohead came second. Yeah. Actually, it's like a fucking pretty iconic top 10, that one. There's like No Rain and Cannonball and like Killing in the Name and so many bangers. Ever since then, it has been like a basically a tradition here in Australia that the Hottest 100 is a reflection of what Triple J listeners are around. So it's like, I guess, the alternative music radio station in Australia. It's like the youth broadcaster. It's owned by the ABC, which is the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, and it's literally broadcast all across the country. So that's how, yeah, a lot of people get into bands, and especially in, like, remote and rural communities where they, you know, don't usually have access to, like, live music and shit. Like, it's a, it's a big, big kind of factor for that. And, yeah, like, it's been going for 20-plus years, and I've always kind of been fascinated by it ever since I started listening when I was about... So I've listened to pretty much every Hottest 100 since then. And I've kind of become mildly obsessed. Actually, not mildly. I'm pretty fucking high-key obsessed with the fucking <laughs> thing. Like, I'm, I'm just always fascinated by how it's kind of this snapshot of, like, what is happening in, like, I guess, Australian culture. And, like, the kind of things that Triple J listeners are getting behind. Like, the 18 to 23 kind of demographic in particular. Or 16 to 23, if you want to be a bit more generous. Even though I'm out of that kind of age group now, I, I, I'm still fascinated by it. And yeah, I know every winner of every Hottest 100 from every single year, including the random years when they did more all-time lists. And they did the... To celebrate 20 years of the Hottest 100, they did the Hottest 20, which was the Hottest 100 songs of the last 20 years. I had this kind of little like archive of facts and knowledge and stuff about that. And I was just like, wouldn't it be fucking fun to go through and look at all of these songs. So I got together three other friends of mine that are like diehard music nerds as well. So my friend Adam, my friend Andrew, and my friend Nathan. And we started this podcast called Hottest 100s and Thousands. And so what happens is every week we go through the Hottest 100 year by year, song by song. So every season is a new year of the Hottest 100. So we started on season one, which was 1993, which was the first year that was voted on annually. And then we're up to season four right now. So we're doing 1996. And so we do five songs and episodes. So started 100 to 96 and then 95 to 91, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, until we get to the top 10, which we tend to kind of topple over in a single episode just to, yeah, power through it. And it can be super ridiculous, but like we have so, so much fun doing it. Adam is like a really, really good producer and like is able to incorporate little cool bits and pieces into the episode episode like away from just us bantering and stuff like that like if we like reference something like he'll able to like pull up an audio clip and like throw it in in there and shit and like he's he's done a really really good job with it so yeah so we've been doing that for a few years that one started before my power bands one it's been pretty entertaining to go through and so yeah we record that whenever we get the chance over at fbi radio in in sydney and yeah we have a lot of fun doing it so you know it's always fun when when people i don't know have heard my podcast it's always like 
how how did you how or, or when they like recognized me from the point it's like you know this is like a fucking audio medium right like how the fuck do you know like <laughs> like you just overhear me talking it's like i know that voice <laughs> yeah it also helps david that and i do not speak with any hyperbole oh here we go when i say that you are at every live music event in sydney potentially ever like you're existing in a single like face state across all of them i have there are never... some who've described me as omnipotent and omnipresent <laughs> like honestly i've never gone to a gig and not bumped into you fuck i like those odds <laughs> like honestly like joel former guest of the show nicest guy on the planet your mate yeah old mate Oh, mate, Joel. Uh, hey, buddy. Brought me to the Courtney Barnett. He told me initially it was going to be an album release party. And I'm like, okay, cool. Oh, we'll at the art that. gallery? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it was like, oh, no, it's not just an album release. She's going to play the whole album. Play the whole record, entirety. yeah. I kind of was there, and we had, like, the terrible little plastic cups of wine in our hands. <laughs> and then I, he glanced over, and he's like, oh, there she is. I bet they're setting up. And I'm like, Joel, you didn't prepare for me for this. You didn't. You didn't. How, how, and, and as I turn around, I'm like. Oh, hey, there's Dave. <laughs> <laughs> because of course. What's up? I think it's, that was a killer show. It was so fucking good. That's one of the best times I've ever seen Courtney. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. She's been fucking killing it lately. I'm so fucking proud of her, man. She's about to do this massive co-headlining tour with Kurt Vile over in the States. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. I've known Courtney for a few years. Yeah. It's so great to hear music with such so referential to Australia and to Melbourne especially and like yeah, individual yeah, yeah. like playing Depreston on American radio. Yeah. And I'm just playing like, Depreston on Ellen. That's <laughs> one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. Oh. It was, like it was just this bizarre like not cross generational it's just like this surreal looking in at like this super specific song about how housing prices are fucked like playing it to like mostly like American moms. <laughs> Like, <laughs> sitting and, like, dancing with Ellen and shit. I'm just like, how did this happen? <laughs> how did my friend Courtney that I fucking met in a back bar in fucking Wollongong in, like, 2011 or some shit. <laughs> how the fuck did she become this fucking cultural phenomenon that we're just sharing around to, like, Fallon and Ellen and Kimmel and, like, all this other fucking shit? Like, it was just surreal, man. It was absolutely wild. All right, David, well, let's start with the basics. Whereabout did you grow up? I grew up on the south coast of New South Wales. I grew up in a place called Nara. Wouldn't recommend it. Yeah, <laughs> shitty, backwards, small town. Went to school there. And yeah, it's a boring, bullshit place. And I have nothing nice to say about it because it's just very plain and very average and breeds very plain and very average people. I'm living proof. Yeah, so we lived there until I was eight, and then we moved to a place called Camberwara, which is, like, still within the vicinity of the area, but, like, there's, like, a bridge that, like, yeah, that goes into Nara, the Shalovan Bridge, and, like, we're before the bridge, and, like, yeah, kind of a bit slightly more rural in this little kind of village town. So that house is still there, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a, a shitty, boring, uncultured area, and I have no fucking time for it. And that's fair. <laughs> Fuck Nara, fuck my hometown, fuck everything about it. Listeners who are not Australian, the only real experience I had with Nara the first couple of years I was here in Australia is I went to see a play called Skate, which was set in Nara, and it was how nothing ever happens in Nara. <laughs> 
and how they didn't have a proper skate park and it's true yeah. we fucking didn't <laughs> we had to get out the back of like Woolworths and shit and fucking improvise i remember that <laughs> oh and whenever i would see it on a train map it would always be like oh it's not that far and someone would have to nudge me and go that's not to scale yeah <laughs> <laughs> way down the bottom if it was to scale it is literally the end of the line so you go from sydney all the way down to a place called kayama and that's like 20 plus stops along that way you don't always stop at all of them but sometimes you do and those are always fun then you have to get on a different train because they literally fucking don't have electric train lines down <laughs> down this way right so and then there's three more stops so you got Cheringong, and then you got Barry, and then you got Bombardieri Nara. and that's how that's how you get to the fucking golden land my dude it is yeah not worth anyone's goddamn time unless you're like driving through it to go further down into like the like pretty beachy areas and shit which tourists fucking froth man like jervis bay and shit yeah you keep going further down it's like Aladala, bateman's bay that sort of shit it's total fucking tourist trap man that's the kind of appealing side of the south coast you know it's just like oh there's all this nice shit and we can take nice photos of the beach and sunsets and shit it's just like yeah but then you gotta go through this little fucking backwater fucking piece of shit <laughs> Like, legit, wouldn't be surprised if most of the streets were just, like, dudes with fucking overalls with no shirt underneath, just fucking sitting on a rocking chair, polishing their rifle, just watching you as you go past. <laughs> just one fucking snaggled tooth just fucking sticking out over the lip. Just... <sighs> just those ones, just the whole fucking time. Yeah, fuck Nara, fuck... Fuck the South Coast. I don't give a shit about it. That's my story. <laughs> Wait for that. Is there a plane to go over? <laughs> hey, you're getting further away from now. That's a fucking... That's a plus. Unless you go to Melbourne, you have to fly over. Technically. Actually, no, you, you wouldn't even. Yeah, fuck it. You don't have to go anywhere near it. <laughs> that's the fucking beauty of life, my dudes. You don't have to do that shit. This idea of, oh, I have to do this terrible thing because it builds character. No, you don't. <laughs> No, stay home. Here's a tip. Talk to someone who did it in a, like somewhere nice where there's a fire or like some coffee or something and like hear about how shit it was. That is a hundred degrees better than going there and actually looking around and going, well, I agree. This is shit. <laughs> I'm living. That ain't living. Shut up. <laughs> so in your, after your escape from the cursed earth that is Naura. Oof. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> oh no, fuck. Keep going. It's right. fucking shit. So what kind of kid were you coming out of that? Angry, weird, very bullied. I don't know. I I had Asperger's and I didn't know that I had Asperger's. Like I legit just didn't comprehend what was going on. I just, just figured that there was something wrong with me, but like I never kind of figured out what it was until I was like 18. So that was fun. Yeah, no, like, growing up was, I don't know, kind of shit in that area. Like, you know, my parents were fine, and my, my, my family was fine as shit, but we were all, like, kind of very different kind of personalities, very different people, so, yeah, it could be kind of fucking weird and busted up and shit, so I just 
threw myself into my obsessions like you know whether that was like like when I was like four or five you know I was like Sesame Street and then like play school and then like the Wiggles and like all the like mostly just musical kind of stuff you know like I would just throw myself into this sort of stuff and then like when I properly got into more music later on like I started getting like my own music like grown-up music when I was like eight or nine or whatever and I started like getting CDs and like more and more and more and like that's all I'd want you know like in come Christmas time like that's all I want you know I don't give a shit about anything else like that's all I want that's the that's the one and you know I kind of continued on and you know tried to make friends and most of that didn't work out like it's you know from that point in my life I probably have maybe like four maybe five people that I still talk to yeah it was kind of shit but like you know I'm kind of shit so look at me now I don't know just kind of just threw myself into music and that just kind of made everything better for me and like gave me hope that there'd be something better out of it so yeah so what kind of albums were getting your attention back then I, I, I don't want to quite ask the what was the second album you ever bought well, the second album I ever bought was Breathing Tornadoes by Ben Lee, which I still fucking ride for. I absolutely love that record. The first record I ever bought was Neon Ballroom by Silverchair, which I still ride for. I fucking love both of those records. Maybe it's just because, like, I got them at that time and they were, like, kind of mind-blowing to me. But, like, I don't know. Like, like I'm 26 now and I still bump those records, like, with a degree of regularity. So I was into shit like that. I was into like the first Gorillaz record was like an eye opener for me. I'd never heard anything like it. Pet Sounds was a huge one for me growing up. Dizzy Up a Girl, Goo Goo Dolls, like like Iris was like everywhere back in like '98. So I was obsessed with that record. By there was this side project called Happy Land, and that was Quan Yeemans from a band called Regurgitator and Janet English from a band called Spiderbait who were a couple at the time, and they made this really fucking cool record together called Welcome to Happy Land. If you're Australian, you'd probably know this song called Don't You Know Who I Am, uh, which is super catchy, super wild track from from that era. I I love the meta thing of, you know, oh, you must know this song. It's called Don't You Know Who I Am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And it's the most annoyingly catchy song as well. Hey, you, don't you know who I am? It's so, so good. It's just this, like, super ironic kind of, yeah, pastiche of, like, big, obnoxious banging club beats, but also, like, super trashy garage punk. It's fucking awesome. There was something that came up the other day where we were, like, having one of those weekends where you, like, completely clean the house, Kimiko and I, where it's, you know, like, you, you move furniture and vacuum and, like, wash the floors and everything. Okay. And we put on, there was, like, a pop-up channel that was, like, top 100 guilty pleasures. Oh, shit. Now we're talking. just gonna say great list and then polyester girl by regurgitator fuck yes and kimiko like stopped what she was doing and like sat down and she's like i fucking love this song this was my song yeah right and she's like i need to tell you about my my trashy angsty teen phase when i listened to lots of regurgitator and i put it out on twitter and so many people came back to me they're like it's like an australian rite of passage oh yeah 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 the, like, that's when you know you have a legacy in this fucking country, man. When you have a nickname. If you're the Gurge, you're fucking... You're done for life. Like, Akadaka, the Oils, the Gurge, the Vool, like, Grinners, like, all that baddies. Like, if you've got a nickname, you're fucking set 
for life in this country. The finger, the chair, the usual, man. Like, all this, all that shit, man. Like, I love it. But yeah, no, dude, a fucking ride for Regurgitator. Like, Unit and Two playing those two records were massive, massive, massive records for me. Regurgitator kind of became, like, unexpectedly massive, like, on the back of Unit, because Polyesical and, like, the song formerly known as were both such massive hits. And, like, for this weird, arty, like bizarre punk band to like have like a song that was like getting blasted on the radio and shit was just completely unexpected it was fucking cool to see because they were just like all right sick all right let's let's you know let's let's walk the fucking aria red carpets and shit and like you know lean in on being like you know this noticeable band that you know like are popular now and then they made another fucking completely dark and weird record called Art after that. And just completely blew every fucking chance they had. And they were just like, dope, we're back to being this obscurity again. We're gonna But they kept that level of popular like they're they're at the point now where they can play the Metro pretty much every year and always get a fucking sellout. Because like they've just established that legacy. Yeah, but they were just like pop stars for you know, a hot minute back in, like, 1998. And, like, that's how a lot of people my age kind of really got into them. So, you know, we have that to thank for them. So I'm internally grateful for that period. It's kind of telling that they can release a song called I Like Your New Stuff Better Than Your Old Stuff. Yeah, old yeah. Stuff well, that, you, oh, yeah. like your old stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the first song in that record unit. <laughs> Although I've, I've been told by my friend Alex that if you ever say that to Quan, he's legally allowed to murder you. Yeah, absolutely. Because... It's, it's 2017. That album is nearly 20 years old. He has fucking heard it every goddamn time. Like, eh? 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 It's like, oh, fuck off. Like, we get it, man. Jesus Christ. Hey, I have a knife in my boot. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised, hey. Quan's a badass. Just carrying a fucking switchblade everywhere. I would. If I was Quan, yeah, man. So that's exactly what I would do. Badass motherfucker. So initially when you wanted to come on the show, you said you wanted to talk about music videos. Yeah. So for those who aren't Australian, rather than MTV, Australians have a show called Rage. Rage! <laughs> so you Rage. And that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. So what was your experience with music videos growing up? I was, okay. So like, I'm eight years old. It's like two in the morning. I am like, I don't know why. I'm just completely fucking wired and I'm obviously not going to sleep. I know that much. I fucking wander out, you know, I go to the fridge, I get a drink or whatever. And then TV is there and I'm just like, fuck it. I just turn on the TV. It's on ABC and it's on Rage. And so every Friday night, Rage would like literally just play new music videos all through the night. And I turned it on and I was just like, oh, that's the sweetest thing about you too. I know that song. I like that song. I'm going to sit here and I'm just going to watch this. Maybe I'll fall asleep at some point. I did not. <laughs> I was there for like six hours, just casually just fucking observing and just getting enamored in this world. Like, I remember that was the first time I saw Tism, who were like this iconic cult, like satirist punk band. Moloko, who had like a huge, like, yeah, really cool, like kind of vaguely neuro dancey disco band from the late 90s. Uh, that's Roger Murphy. Roger right? Murphy, yeah. That was her original band. Like, The Time Is Now and Sing It Back and stuff like that were, like, huge records for her before she went solo. So I remember seeing shit like that. 
and like what else probably even like shit like Celine Dion and shit like you know like <laughs> Celine Dion was having a comeback at that point because of my heart will go on and she had like a song with the Bee Gees out and that was massive the Bee Gees were mostly still alive at that point that was fun remember that oh god and then it went into so at that point what Rage would do is they would play the music videos of the top 50 singles in the country at the time so just going off the RA charts so once I realized that was a thing, I just used to fucking just studiously watch it and like figure out what position was where and stuff like that. Like the internet was around, but we didn't really have it at that point. So like, I would just fucking like start taking notes of it. That night just changed my life. I just remember sitting there and just being like, okay, well, this is my thing now. I, this is, this is all I'm interested in. I think I was trying to figure it out like later on in life, like why I listen to so much different shit. Like, why I, like, obsess over, like, mainstream pop music the same way I'll froth over, like, you know, some, like, super obscure, noisy, like, fucking DIY garage punk band. And I think it's because what was classified as pop music in 19, like, the 1998, 1999, is super diverse and super fucking weird. Like, you'd have shit like Bewitched and the Backstreet Boys and stuff like that. And that would be rocking up against shit like Massive Attack and like Nine Inch Nails and Vergurgitator, as we just mentioned. Shit that should not, like Marilyn Manson. Like <laughs> shit that shit that should not be in the pop charts, but like we were just like, yeah, we're into that. We're gonna fucking put that in the top 50. Hole? That was my first discovery of Hole. Like Celebrity Skin and Malibu were like anthems for me growing up. And so I think the fact that I was just so into all of that stuff meant that instead of going through phases of musical stuff, I just kept adding more shit on. So like stuff that I was into like growing up, I'm still into now, but like stuff that I was into in my teen years, you know, like I'm still into now. Like I just kept, just kept adding onto this fucking pile and the pile is fucking insurmountable now. And that's sick. I just love going through it and just being like, I could listen to literally any fucking thing that I wanted, man. Like, it's cool. And, like, I've come to have, like, a proper full appreciation of as much different music as I can possibly muster, man. And I think part of that is because I grew up obsessing over the pop charts in the late 90s, and it was a fucking weird time. Like, like music these days, but, like, <laughs> fucking... <laughs> You know, like, a lot of the stuff in the charts now is, is like, sonically fairly similar to one another. And which, which is fine. A lot of it fucking slaps. Like, I'm super into heaps of modern pop music. But the fact that it was just so borderline schizophrenic in the late 90s probably relates back to how I deal with music now. And I just get into heaps of shit and I get into it really fucking deeply and, like, acutely, you know? Yeah, I was just reading there was an oral history of YTV, which was, like, the kids' network. In right, Canada. yeah. Yeah. And one of the shows they had was called The Hit List, and it was hosted by Tarzan Dan. And he was saying some of the same stuff that you're saying, which mm. is where in the middle to late 90s, yeah. on your pop music show, you would have Blur. You would yeah. play Nirvana. You would have, that immediately following, you would have Backstreet Boys. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this idea where no matter what you were into, there was something there for you. Yeah, 100%. These things were being presented equally. And yeah. it wasn't as splintered as it was now. Yeah, totally. And the best part was, like, at the same time as some of those artists were becoming massive, they were also, like, like Eminem and Marilyn Manson and shit were, like, 
tearing up the charts, but like they were also like public enemy number one. And you were just like, oh my God, is this like my first encounter with like a human badass? Like, how does this work? <laughs> Why are people so mad at this song? And then like your parents are finding you can't bloody fucking play this. And it's like, what? You, what? No, come on. This song's amazing. <laughs> I love that. I was so fascinated by controversy. It's just like, oh, you know, the, the lyrics are very... Exp- I had no fucking idea what any of them were singing about. <laughs> like, I didn't get I'm a genie in a bottle. you got to rub me the right way until I was well into my tears. It's like, oh, right. She's talking about her clit. Yeah, okay. Oh, it's a sex yeah, thing. Yeah, it's a sex thing. Most of the songs I was listening to at that point are a sex thing. Holy shit. Too Close by Next is literally about a dude getting a boner while he's fucking grinding up against a chick in the club. I had no fucking idea. Oh, you know a liar. I'm so excited. But I can't hide it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I have no fucking idea. You're making it, literally making it hard for me. That's how it works. That's how dicks work. That's how dicks work. And now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. bam By the way, that is fucking too close. I remember, like, seeing this, like, badass like hotted up car with like the green glow yeah 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 yeah. driving by in newtown and i'm like oh it's a sweet car and it's got like the spinning rims and everything shit yeah and the window cracks a bit and they're blaring too close and i'm like nope mystique is gone oh no i'm into that i had the same thing in a car park recently where it was like a sick suit up car and they were fucking running fucking um imi kimose here comes the hot stepper (laughs) i was like yes Murder, I'm the lyrical gangster. Murder. I'm just like, shit, yeah. Like, we are so fucking comfortable in our skin that we can pump that shit now. Just like, just like old school, just like bullshit. Like, like stuff that like, if you were playing it at the time, we'd just be like, what the fuck are you doing? Something's over. But now it's just like, yeah, fucking hell yeah. Bump that shit. Like, bust a move. Like, fucking hell yeah. Have that cranking out your goddamn system. That's wild. I do love now that it's gotten to the point where you can play something like, Bust a move or yeah. hey now now my swirl three sixty. Holy shit! You are literally the only other fucking human I've ever met who knows who swirl three sixty. Oh my fucking god! Are you kidding me? No, I used to watch that video. Yes, so did I. Oh my god, dude! Oh my god, that's fucking incredible, dude! Like. I legit thought I was the only other human being on this planet, including the people that were in that fucking band that remembered Swirl 360. Holy shit. That is fucking revelatory. That is massive. Oh, man. I went on their fucking Wikipedia page. I'm like, whatever happened to them? It did not go well. It did not go well at all. Oh, my God. They're probably, like, pushing brooms in a fucking cafeteria somewhere, man. Asking the kids where the cool parties are. Holy shit. Oh, my God. That's so... You just pulled that one out of your asshole, man. Oh, my God. God, I think it's. it's I, I would say it was a deep cut, but it is. It would be, it would be wrong. To, like I'm gonna steal James Lee. 
Were they a thing in Canada or like? Yeah, they, they would come on Much Music, which was right, like, yeah. yeah. And it's like it was that terrible video with all, like the cresting waves. Yeah, and they yeah, would, yeah, like, yeah, slowly yeah. Fade in to be strumming their guitars. Yes. Yeah. And it was the same thing on the cover as well. Yeah, I remember that. Oh my god. So yeah, like I have such visual memories of that and like. Fuck. Well, you were showing me those fucking seven inches for. Do you remember the video for Brimful of Asher by Corner Shop? Yes, yes. The little girl fucking playing the records, just dancing around her room and shit? Also, that is a hell of an earworm. I heard that once, maybe five months ago. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not Oh, it's it's a perfect fucking song. I love that track. Like even the fat even the Fatboy Slim Norman Cook remix is fucking so good. The thing I love about that track, man. Like, I didn't realize kind of, like, the cultural significance of it, like, because um, they're, like, Indian-American guys, and they're, like, talking, like, in that song, like, they're talking about all this stuff involving Bollywood and, like, like the uh, Indian film industry and stuff like that, and there was, like, a whole essay about it, and I read it, and I'm just like, oh, my God, I literally just was laughing at the bosom for a pillow line. I had no idea there was, like, all this fucking layering to it, like, and that's the thing about pop music, man, like... You might just like, oh, fucking anyone could fucking do that. Just takes, you know, fucking press of the fucking button on a laptop or whatever. But, like, if you break that shit down, there is so much shit going on. And, like, I'm constantly fascinated by, like, yeah, just breaking down songs, like, bit by bit by bit. And, like, figuring out how it works and, like, what makes it so fucking catchy to begin with. Like, I love that shit. And, yeah, like, Brimful of Ash is, like, a perfect example of that. I love that shit. It's something that I saw on a mug at an art gallery, so you know it's proper wisdom. It's it's was it a modern modern art exhibit, but it was a, a cup in it, and it said modern art. You could have done that, but you didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like that, like struck to the core of me. Oh I'm my like, god, yes. that's wild! I yeah, want it tattooed on my forehead. Hell yeah! <laughs> Get that across the throat. Yeah, instead of my brother's keeper. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck me! I haven't heard that in a decade. That's a sensational reference. <laughs> Sorry, North uh, American listeners. <laughs> oh, who cares? <laughs> All right. So coming back to music videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like just like throw out a few ones that really kind of because there's like I think that was a time when you would get these ones that would try and tell like a seven minute story where the oh, song yeah, is in the middle yeah. of it. Like, Super conceptual and shit. Yeah. yeah. So what were some that were getting your attention? Backstreet's back. Yeah. <laughs> The motherfucking makeup job on those bad boys. Yeah. Oh, like, are you kidding me? <laughs> fucking, okay, what else we got? Wannabe. That one shot just rotting through the whole thing. Mm. Like, I remember that so, so vividly. Praise You. The super lo-fi, like, VHS. Have you seen it? Fatboy Slim's one? Yeah. yeah, with Spike Jones. So Spike Jones like, leading this amateur dance troupe, which is, like, this strangely, weirdly beautiful thing in its own way. And, like, you become enamored and obsessed with that. Coffee and TV by Blur. The little the little carton of milk that lost its way uh, <laughs> while looking for Graham Coxon from Blur, who'd just gone missing for some reason, even though he was just clearly just hanging out with the guys from Blur and just playing music with them. And maybe if one of the other members of Graham Coxon's family had called one of the other members of Blur, all of this would have been avoided. <laughs> By that same token, the video for Song 2, where they literally just throw themselves into walls <laughs> and get, like, wind machines thrown at them. I, I love that Song 2 was meant to be a Britpop parody and became, like, the... The Britpop? Yeah! Oh, my God! Like, 
It was next level. And it, it's just become like this fucking rousing football anthem on its own, right? I saw Blur in 2015 and like fucking Alex starts with the boop, 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 boop. And like everyone's just like fucking wow because they know what's coming. Yeah. And da- and Damon starts like a like this football concert. It's like here we, here we, here we fucking go, here we, here we, here we fucking go. And it was just the most like footy fucking thing ever. It's like yeah, just me and like fucking a thou- thousands and thousands of other fucking just br- like burly British dads like fucking woo. <laughs> it was just wild. Like just that song has just become so just synonymous with like just getting crowds fucking amped man and yeah there's some of those songs where you don't realize their power until you're in a room full of people listening oh shit yeah Yeah. shit yeah example chelsea dagger by the fratelli oh yeah we'll get a crowd going oh my god and how oh my god (laughs) <laughs> they'll go very quiet for the verses but the second that chorus kicks in <laughs> yeah because I saw Madness recently and that came on and it was just like well, you must, I'm just like well you must be one we know that and then you know like 90 seconds later I spend a lot of time with British dads <laughs> That's fair. They love me. My friend Liz does a uh, a 90s hip-hop night at the Cricketer's Arms called Fuck Shoot. Fuck yes. Which, which is such a good time. Everyone in Sydney go to that. Although she's had to stop doing it because she's eight months pregnant and can't fit in that little DJ booth anymore. Oh, but basically... Excuses, excuses. That night was the first time I heard Bitch Better Have My Money. I thought you said it was a 90s hip-hop night. Well, yeah, she just threw it on at, like, you know, because it was, like, quarter to midnight. Right. It's like, whatever. You know, crowd's moving. Let's throw it on. Yeah. And segue, I think it was from, like, En Vogue into that. Ooh. And it was just, like... like Yeah, yeah. Because I, I remember hearing that song, like, on the radio and going, oh, that's okay. And then you hear it, like, with the big speakers Ooh, in a room all that fucking sub bass just rattling through your chest. It's so good. <laughs> oh, god damn. Um, okay, what were we talking about? We were talking about music videos. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Prisoner Society, Living End. Uh, that was my first exposure to... I guess, Australian rock music as a commodity. I was fascinated by, like, the little lo-fi production and the shots of them playing and, like, the hilarious, like, little, like, goodies-esque little costume battles that they were having with one another. There was a video by a group called The Propellerheads called Crash, which is two Elvis impersonators making breakfast in the morning. (laughs) It's just such a simple, dumb idea, but it works so fucking brilliantly. Imitation of Life by R.E.M., which has, like, all this, like, stopping and starting, like, reversing and forwarding, and is just, like, an absolute trip to watch. Like, I remember just, like, watching it and being like, what the fuck is happening? How are they doing that? It was like when you watch The Scientist for the first time, and then you realize that fucking old mate Chris Martin is, like, singing backwards, or, like, miming backwards, like, how, how did you learn that? How do you learn to sing a song backwards? Like, to just to work with the, the reversal of the entire song. Like, it's fascinating it's so so cool to watch like the the lengths to which people will go for music videos is just absolutely next level i mean fucking christopher walken learned how to fly <laughs> i mean if he can do it every, everyone can which i need to point out like last month i had an amazing realization okay okay I didn't here we go that video at a job which i no longer work because pfft, Shove it. There was a lending library in the break room of like old books and stuff. Okay. And I got the first book of the Dune series. Oh, I see where this is going. Yeah. 
And I was reading it and we were like, we went up to Lura for a couple of days on like a little baby moon, went to like a cottage where there were goats outside and stuff and just like chilled out with a wood fire for three days, which was great. I highly recommend it. And then in the middle of that, I'm sitting there like in this reading nook at the top of a ladder, like reading this battered old paperback copy of Dune. And I see the words, if you walk without rhythm, you won't attract the worm. And I dropped my book (laughs) as Christopher Walken (laughs) flew into my brain. Yeah. Just that little pocket dance that he's doing. Like, oh, the sexiest fucking thing on the planet. Oh, my God. I'm just sitting there going, like, I have been listening to that song for, like, a decade. Yeah, and you had no idea it was a Dune reference. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so good. That's Bootsy Collins on the vocals. Just absolutely crushing no it in that song. Yeah, that's Bootsy Collins. Absolutely crushing it. Like, it's just one of those absolutely fucking perfect songs that is accentuated by an absolutely perfect music video. And somehow survived being used for Channel 10 bumpers with a whole bunch of Australian TV personalities. Oh, yeah, like, you know a song's good when it can survive being on an ad. Fucking, or, like, being into, use of, like, interstitial music and shit. Um, there's a song by a band called The Go-Betweens called Streets of Your Town, which came out in the 80s as, like, one of these synonymous, like, classic Australian pop songs. It was used as, like, interstitial music on Channel 7 here in Australia. And, like, so you literally used to just hear it all the time. And it still hasn't broken my love for that fucking song, because I think it's, like, one of, genuinely one of the greatest songs ever written. So I, I think it's a testament to a song. If it can survive being on an ad, it can survive anything. The thing about music videos for me is that it makes great songs even better, and it can even turn songs that, you know, normally you wouldn't particularly be that interested in to be like, Oh fuck! I need I need to keep watching this. Like I'm just completely blown away. Like I don't think I would have ever like gotten into the Prodigy the way that I did if it weren't for like smack my bitch up and shit, you know. Or even later on where they did videos like voodoo people and shit, like or or even like breathe where it's like that, oh that my weird, god, like, yeah, yeah. Like, terrifying. Just like that super shadowy, just like yeah, yeah and, they're, like they're super close ups like, and shit. Like yeah, Sam Raimi kind of speed ramping stuff. And yes. Oh my god, I used to just ride for that shit. I used to I love yeah. that. We're like, let, let's just put Keith Flint in an abandoned subway station and just record what Just he does. Yeah, just let the fucker loose. Why not? I gotta say, it's a slight tangent. Uh, mm. The back to mine of Liam Howlett from Prodigy is fucking great and surprisingly yeah. diverse. Like, he's got Jolene by Dolly Parton yeah. there. <laughs> so good. Yeah. yeah. He, he is an underrated fucking producer, man. Like, he has put together some pretty amazing stuff, like, with the Prodigy. I probably would have never really given them time of day if it wasn't for, like, Breathe and, yeah, Smack My Bitch Up and Firestarter and, like, all that kind of, like, the visual medium of the band. I was just like, what is this? I need more. I need, like, all of this, like, right the fuck now. Yeah, t- talking about videos that improve a song. God, I don't even know the track. You'll probably know it. Oh. Uh, there was a Bush video. Yeah. Where it was like a crime scene investigation. Oh, shit. And um, like at the end, it was Gavin Rosdale as an angel. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, I, I don't even know the song. But I remember that video, even though someone described it to me. Was in it Everything Zen? I think it might have been. Because it was like, someone described that to me in like 1999. And I still remember that video. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Like there's just certain stuff that is just inextricably linked you know it'll always be in the back of your mind i'll always remember fucking like janet jackson riding on the back of an elephant 
on the, I think it was I think it was for everywhere I go everywhere I go every smile I see I can see your smile shining down on me and I was just like she's just riding an elephant in the video for no reason the Jacksons were all into just making ridiculous fucking videos yeah oh, scream scream <laughs> at the time the most expensive music video ever made yeah. Like, can you believe that shit? Like, it's taken a long time for people to, co- like, come up with a budget that level, man. Like, and that was, like, even, like, pricing it, like, up to today's market and shit. And it was just incredible. I remember those those MJ videos growing up in particular. Like, once you see, like, Thriller and you see Bad and you see, like, Black and White and, you know, all, like, the, the massive conceptual stuff. It's just like, but the song's finished. Why is the video still going? Oh... Oh, there's this all this other shit happening. Like it's like this little like mini movie in its own right, you know. And you're sitting there just like it's been like five minutes and the song hasn't started. Like it's just been Michael like talking to these guys. Okay, they're in a parking lot. Oh shit's getting intense. Oh, so, oh right, okay. So this was all leading up to this moment. Okay, all right, I'm into it. And sometimes people do that really, really well. Sometimes people do that absolutely terribly fucking like 30 seconds to mars like jared leto's <laughs> fucking band had a whole heap of just t- atrocious long form videos like around the mid 2000s when they were they were putting songs out from one of their records and like, like these super shitty overblown overwrought like 12 minute videos i was just like oh my god just sapuku yourselves you pieces of shit <laughs> God damn, I fucking hate Jared Leto. I I rode for I rode for thirty seconds to Mars like on those first two records, but after that, it's just like ugh, the worst. And because I know my audience, I am now gonna mention Follow Boy. Yes, <laughs> sixteen candles. Video. Oh my god, god damn. Oh god, I miss Fall Out Boy. I miss the real Fall Out Boy, not this bullshit. Have you seen their new shit? No, I haven't. Oh, do not, do not. They, oh, it's it's embarrassing. Like, yeah, I think my oh. my favorite like tell your friends weird video thing, and it's reaching back. It's st- it's still gotta be Foo Fighters for everyone. Oh, dude, yeah, I can't believe I didn't bring up the fucking Foo Fighters. Like, Everlong, learn to fly. Big me. Where it's a Mentos commercial. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a Mentos commercial. It's crazy. It's just like they, yeah. trying to explain Everlong to someone. It's dream logic. It's yeah. like, oh, there's, oh, Dave Grohl's a punk, and then his hand grows to an enormous size, and he uses it to kill people. Yeah. And then they play the chorus again. <laughs> and then there was a drum kit under the bed the entire time, you know? Yeah. Just just go with it. And I mean, even even Monkey Wrench, it's like, oh, we're, we're going to put a, a fisheye camera in the corner of a room and then kick that room down the stairs. Yeah, in a, in a fucking elevator or some shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so good. Have you seen the video for Low? Oh, I don't, actually don't think I have. Okay, so that's like one of the lesser known songs off uh, One by One. It's Dave Grohl and Jack Black in a cabin in the woods <laughs> getting fuck-faced and dressing up in like various and eventually ending up in drag and like what's that shit where you're like you can see in the dark and it's all like green and shit oh, the night vision yeah yeah like night vision like filming them just like in like women's clothing just going absolutely fucking ratchet and it is amazing like of, like for this super obscure song that no one knows off their their record like it like it was like a last minute single but like they made this fucking hysterical video for it 
Yeah, I've always kind of... Yeah, I love the fact that they've been able to kind of maintain at least a degree of that through their videos. Like, even for, like, the quote-unquote, like, serious videos or whatever, they'll have one of those just fuck-off moments. Like, in the Pretender, where, like, where they go into that last chorus and, like, there's, like, they're building up that intensity between, like, the riot guard standing next to it and them just playing. And then fucking... And then when that kicks in fucking like just red water fucking goes everywhere and like so they're just all just fucking saturated and like there's like hydro force fucking water like pressured water just going against these riot guards and shit and it's just, it's like the perfect payoff for this song you know and it just it all just cuts to that one moment and then fucking bam like straight in there i love it Oh, that's the that's the power of a great music video. It kind of accentuates, you know, the best parts of the song, and it's just like, oh wow, okay, sick. I didn't get that before, but now like I'm totally into it. Yeah, and Deep Girl especially commits to every music video that he's in. Five hundred percent, man. Just yeah. Th think about him in the back of No One Knows, just absolutely yeah. destroying that <laughs> drum kit, and his and like he looks entirely made of teeth because all you see is this. Yeah. Oh, man, like, still one of the best drummers to ever get behind a kit. Like, he is a piece of shit of, of a human. Like, he's a he's a magical asshole uh, <laughs> that should just keep his goddamn mouth shut. But my God, he's a fucking good drummer. <laughs> All right. And on that note, I think we should probably start wrapping up. All right. So, David, if people wanted to find your stuff on the internet, where would they go? Away. <laughs> Don't do it. It's not worth your time. It's not, just leave it. Just leave it. I don't know, davidjamesjohn.com, at DJYWrites. My podcasts are Hottest 100s and Thousands, and all my friends are in bar bands. And I think that's it. Oh, oh Facebook.com slash DavidJamesYoungWrites. You can find me on there. Um, yeah, so Twitter and Instagram, DJYWrites. Just leave me alone, uh, basically, <laughs> is, is the premise. Even though I've given you extensive links to, to find me and contact me, just, just leave me be. All right, David. Well, thanks so much for doing this. This was a blast. My face hurts from laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Look, if that's the only difference that I make as a human being, then that's uh, I'm happy with that. Thank you so much for having me, dude. All right. See you at the next Every Gig I Go To. Please, come find me. Actually, don't. Leave me be. Thank you very much to David James Young for his time. Now, unfortunately, there's no signature cocktail this week, and that's for a couple of reasons. First off, David is proudly straight edge, and so I wouldn't want to disrespect that. Secondly, I've had a few things happen in my life this week. I started a brand new job at a new office, which is great, but far more importantly, and far more of an effect on this podcast, is my partner Kimiko had a baby. In the wee hours of Saturday morning, Little Hero came into the world. A month early and 2.69 kilograms, catching everybody by surprise. Both mum and baby are healthy and doing well, and should be coming out of the hospital any day now. And the entire experience has been 
overwhelming and humbling and exhausting and amazing in all the best ways. Also, because he was a month early, the little bugger managed to pip his own shower, which was meant to happen Sunday the 2nd, but he pipped that by being born on the 1st. I had tweeted out a link to a baby shower registry, but then I realized that that particular registry required people to know my address, and while I've done that for a few people, I realize that's not tenable in the long term. So if any of you nice listeners would like to donate some baby bottles or clothes or whatever else, all you need to do is is send it through to my PayPal, which is L-O-K-I underscore N for November, B for Bravo at Hotmail.com. Yes, I know it's very old. And put in the subject line what you'd like to donate. And I'll go out and buy it. And I'll send you a picture of, I don't know, of Hero holding it, I guess. I've been sharing some pictures on my Twitter and my Instagram, and the response from people has been amazing. And you guys make me cry a little at my morning coffee when I wake up to see all these fantastic notifications. So I love you all. Thank you so much. is recorded in Leichhardt, New South Wales, Australia, and is written, hosted, and edited by yours truly, Lucas Brown. New episodes are released every Wednesday evening, and if you'd like to be a guest on the show, simply send an email to themathofyou at gmail.com and tell us what you'd like to talk about. You can follow the show on Twitter at themathofyou, and you can follow my wacky adventures at Lokified, L-O-K-I-F-I-E-T, on Twitter and Instagram, or Lokified82 on Snapchat telling you right now it's mostly going to be baby pictures if you have a few bucks kicking around and would like to directly support the show you can go to patreon.com slash and pledge as little as a dollar a month you can also make it rain money you can like put your arms up and have it fall from the sky like an elder god it's pretty cool you can get cursive tweets early access to episode thanks on the air and also i would really just really appreciate it if you'd like to support non-monetarily, you can go to iTunes for the country of your choice and leave a five-star rating. It helps people find us. You can also write a review, and I'll read it out in the show. Won't that be nice? If you like the music I play on the show, there's a Spotify playlist for that. You can go to bit.ly slash themathofyou, with capitals at the beginning of each word, to find our Spotify playlist going back to the very beginning, the very first episode, every song I've ever played in the show, including this one. It's Hey Now Now by Squirrel360. I absolutely could not avoid using it. The playlist is updated every Wednesday as soon as the episode is live, so so subscribe to get that new music in your ears. Next week, my guest will be Lucy Harrison, composer and sound designer, and we'll be talking about classic British television. Now, normally I would have released a bonus episode with all the cool stuff I talked to David about, but frankly, I have a new baby, so I don't have time to be editing, so instead, I've included most of it here at the end of the episode. Join me, won't you? Yeah, I do not like the new Garage Band. It's kind of like, it's like very iOS 7 all of a sudden. Okay, I've, I've legit not used it since high school, and we had to like use it for music class and shit. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
I, I started using it because it was because I, I learned how to edit video in like Adobe Premiere Pro, and it's okay. pretty much the same like visually. So just like, right, right, you know, right. Like snip vertically, drag things over. Uh-huh. Uh huh. And also, it was free, and I didn't have to pay for audition. You and cannot it, beat the price. Yeah, it's not quite as you know brutally like hobbled as Audacity is. <laughs> yeah. Like every once in a while, I'll be listening to a podcast, and they'll be like, "Oh yeah, we record in Audacity," and I'm like, "For real? <laughs> no." <laughs> Fuck, if it works. You know, something that was invented in 2002. Hey, a lot of good things were invented in 2002, I'll have you know. Yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> if Audacity were a child, it would be, you know, stealing liquor and drinking cider in the park. You know, yelling at its stepdad how it's not a thrill dad and shit. <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. I'm my own recording platform. Yeah, fuck, yeah. <laughs> Just cranking Simple Plan in its room. No one in the history of the world has experienced loneliness the way Audacity has. <laughs> Last time we talked, um, we were talking about like the sadness that is black wire closing. Fucking hell. God damn. But I was watching TV last night, and I noticed that the vintage record is in an ad now. Like the little tiny record shop with like the old jukebox. Yeah, like, right. On Paramount Road, just up from where Blackwater used to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the one that's all like wood and it's all jazz records and mm, stuff. Mm, mm. They're in an ad for the new like countdown type show with Molly Meldrum. What? I didn't even hear about this shit. Yeah, and it's like I, I remember like like looking at the ad, I'm like, wait a minute, I know that door. <laughs> you know, it's just up from the Annandale. I know that one. Right, wow. But they're the place that has that really cool Amy Bubble jukebox that has mm. the 45s in it. Like the, the one in Death Proof that Quentin Tarantino had shipped there. On oh, the shit. Like one of yeah, right, ones. right, right. And I'm just like, oh, I love it. But I also know I wouldn't have, like, the perseverance to have keep that thing up to date. Because, like, um, my friend BJ's dad builds pinball machines. Fuck. And I was like... Nice work if you can get it. Right. It's, it's like his retirement thing. He, like, goes That's and buys... That's so sick. I'm old, into that. Like, he buys old junker machines and, like, sources the parts and, like, spot welds everything together. And uh, at one point, I'm like, you know, I'd really love a jukebox for my 45s because 45s are the stupidest, like, media oh, thing. It's fucked. Because it's just like, I've got, like, a stack of them over there. They mm. don't even sit up straight. They're just mm. like... And I'm like, how much would that run me? He's like, I don't know, eight grand, and it would break down Whoa. twice a year. Because you'd have to, like, constantly be recalibrating it because it would, like, swing out. And yeah. if the arm goes too far, it'll Fuck break your records. That. And I'm just Dude. like, oh, it's so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> it's up, up Fuck, there with man. the eight track tape. That is dedication. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> fucking Paul McCartney and fucking... Rupert the Bear. Fucking Rupert. I was very lucky in that when I was moving one time, some people in the house up the road would run a pop music trivia quiz. Right. And so they threw out a whole bunch of good but weird albums. Yeah, right. And I just went through and I'm like, I got the Muppet movie soundtrack. I Fuck got yeah. 2001, like basically all their cues from their, their show, right? Yeah, right, right, right. And that was in there and I couldn't believe it. This is fucking wild. <laughs> it's the weirdest fucking shaped vinyl I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, because it's shaped like a beetle and a bear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, what an iconic duo. Look at that. <laughs> Name a more iconic duo. I'll, I'll wait. wait. <laughs> Fuck. 1984. Oh my god. 
the 80s was a weird fucking time for the Beatles, man. <laughs> fucking John Lennon got shot. Fucking George Harrison had got my mind set on you. And fucking Paul McCartney was doing this shit. <laughs> like this and like fucking give my regards to Broad Street. Like fucking hell. That is huge. And what's funny is there's no Photoshop. He just always looked 12. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Until he looked 8. The thing about Paul is that he's just always kind of... Just always got that look on his face that just, you know, you've just jumped out of a corner and just gone BOOM! <laughs> and Paul's just like, oh! Oh, I didn't know that was gonna happen, you know? You know, me and John, we just used to just write songs, you know? That's that's basically all you need to do for a, a Paul impression. You just have to tilt your head slightly and just look around with wonder. It's just, you know, wow, we were just, we were just a band, you know? You I, know, we were I, just a band. <laughs> I jumped out of the cupboard and I gave him a bit of a <laughs> And I said, Rupert, what's he doing over there? He was well scared. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, John, he was. <laughs> that was a good way to start. <laughs> Just atrocious Paul McCartney impressions. Oh, oh John. Like, I, I sent some Australian snacks to an American podcast because they do, like, snack situation before they do a movie review. Oh, okay, yeah, and right. I, I, and I sent them, like, Violet Crumbles and, like, Peppermint Crisp. And oh, and dude, Americans are obsessed with Violet Crumble. Chelsea yeah. Peretti was going on about them on Twitter the other day. Yeah, and it's like, they're like, it's like a candy hated you. It I know, no one you. gives a shit, but over there, it's just like, fuck! It's amazing! And the thing is, I didn't realize Americans don't have crunchy bars. Oh shit, yeah, 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 yeah. AKA the good version of Violet Crumble. <laughs> like the one that's enjoyable and mm. doesn't want you to suffer. Yeah. Oh, I was trying to think who else I remember brought. Fucking Noel Gallagher. I interviewed Noel Gallagher and he said one of his favorite things about coming to Australia was the Violet Crumble <laughs> and Tim Tams and Kit Kats. And he was just like, you have them all in the, fr in the minibar backstage, that's good gear. I'm just like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, you know, have my people talk to your people and we'll have that shit arranged for when you come back, dude. <laughs> yeah, but when I sent it to them, they then did like a good two minutes of just like terrible Australian accents. And apparently they had Australian listeners like writing in saying, please, please, please don't do that. Please stop. <laughs> and the, and like, oh, we're so used to it by now, you know, like this, this is how every American thinks every Australian talks. You know, you just you just gotta accentuate the veils a little bit more. And just go, oh I know. Oh don't know. I know. I know. <laughs> I know. And sometimes sometimes we'll just add uh to the end of every sentence uh, and I don't know why. It's it's that uptick. And yeah. It's, it's, yeah, the uptick like that. Yeah. You've got cancer, a horrible tumour, you're gonna die. Oh fuck mate. <laughs> Anytime I hear just an atrocious Australian accent, I'm just like, I know where you're from. Yeah. <laughs> I know where you picked that up. You picked that up through like the Simpsons episode and shit. Uh, you, I was you, just a little kick in the bum. <laughs> you were an extra on Lost. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you heard Ben Mendelssohn talk once. <laughs> No, I remember that from Lost where there was like, they had like a prawn shack, like an equivalent of a food truck. Right. Like, and it was like on the water, like at a, like a working harbor, like you'd see the fish markets. Yeah. But inexplicably, it had a view of the opera house. <laughs> and I like, I like charted it on Google Maps. I'm like, that means that like shrimp truck is in Double Bay. Yeah. <laughs> fuck. Like, no, no, you're not. How is that even possible? 
Oh, have you seen the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers movie? Yeah, yeah, I saw it in the theater. Yeah, so like, there's like shots of like the Opera House and like bits of like Darling Harbor and shit in there. And it's just like, the fact we never picked up on it as kids, we were just like, yeah, you know, this hanging out in Angel Grove and shit. I was just like, oh wait, this entire thing is fucking shot in Australia for some reason. <laughs> we don't fucking know why. Oh, my favorite Sydney step-in kind of location was in Godzilla Final Wars. Okay, I haven't seen that. It's it's awful. Like oh, really like bad. worse than worse than the last couple of Godzilla movies. Way worse. Holy to the, shit! That's to the point where they've got like Matrix style like bullet time fights. Fuck off, humans! <laughs> Does Godzilla like fucking Neo the bullet? Just fucking woo. No, they inexplicably have like genetically modified humans who are like the cops, and they're like trying to like get a nuclear submarine because clearly Godzilla is not enough for a Godzilla movie. Fuck. But. The best thing is that they do like an all monsters attack thing where it's like, you know, they're all over the world, things are, are attacking. Yeah. And they have the Godzilla from the 1994-95 Matthew Broderick one. Yeah. They have him turn up in Sydney and they have the real Godzilla come out of the sea and just kick his ass in literally 30 seconds. Wow. Uh, and like throw him through the opera house and kill through him. Through the opera house? Fuck me! And they had an actual CGI... Uh, 94 Godzilla versus a guy in a suit regular Godzilla. Holy shit. It's it's like a perfect storm. When did this come out? Oh god, I think 2003, 2002, something like that. And this wasn't at the movies or anything like that? It was briefly, but it, it didn't Because I have no fucking recollection of that, man. Like, I remember 98 Godzilla. Mm. And I remember the one where they had like Brian Cranston in it for fucking fifteen seconds, and then they fucking killed him. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Doing alive. the best acting in that movie. I think is I love that movie. Like I saw that shit in IMAX. Oh, I did not enjoy it at all. Because it took them a fucking hour for fucking Godzilla to turn. Hello, his name is on the fucking poster. <laughs> The thing is, anytime someone tells me they don't like that movie, I'm like, I completely get it. And it's like, like, like there is no defense I can give. Oh yeah, it's like when you, it's like when you like a band or something, you're just like, I'm fully aware this is shit. I just fucking like this shit. I've been, I've been like way, way back into what's classified as butt rock. So like super like. Meh, fucking post grungy shit for like the mid to late nineties, early two thousands. So like, defaults. yeah, yeah, default tonic, vertical horizon, <laughs> fastball. Like, I fucking love that shit. And like, I've gotten back into it in like a mega, like quasi ironic way. How long before you get to saliva? Oh, dude, I owned fucking back into your system growing <laughs> up, man. Cause like, obviously, like you're wrestling kid, like yeah. hearing like fucking click, click, boom, and always on always. Like, it's like fuck yes i remember it was the um the second oh june you knock it off it was the second fast and the furious soundtrack it was more fast and furious oh shit yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and they had like race wars by bt oh and, god like, damn and stuff oh like man but yeah so i got like majorly back into that and like i went through a new metal phase again just being like <laughs> Fuck, most of these songs slap. Like, we were just so embarrassed to admit it. Like, between, like, high school and, like, going into our 20s and shit. But now, like, we're all at a point where it's just like, yeah, I'll fucking wear a Slipknot shirt. What of it? 
you know, fucking my greatest achievement as a podcaster is getting Drowning Pool on my podcast. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> I'm just like, I can't fucking believe I'm in the same fucking room as Drowning Pool. I, I like, that was just surreal. I'm, try, I'm trying to picture because I remember they played a fucking tear away. At one of the pay-per-views. Oh, yeah, yeah. That was WrestleMania. Yeah, that was the one. WrestleMania 18. It was the Jericho Triple H match. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And they also played Triple H the ring as well. Yeah. Yeah. That was... Somewhere at home, Lemmy is like, motherfucker. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. Motorhead did it. And (laughs) Lemmy forgot all the fucking words (laughs) while he was playing the song. My favorite is, I think it was 29, when they actually got Living Color. Living Color! That was so sick! Except for, like, the first beginning, there's, like, everybody else, like, Will Calhoun, like, starts them in. And then the singer just, like, all right, we're going to the first bit. We're, we're skipping the entire intro. Clearly, they got us, like, because it's, like, started up, and they went straight to the, look in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, r- they cut the entire, like, le- awesome lead-in. Oh, yeah. I still get chills when I hear that from, from when Punk came back. Fucking hell, yes. Oh, man. I was very happy because I got to go see... There was a drum workshop at the Gaelic Club that Will Calhoun did. Oh, dope. It was so good. And the thing is, he had... play? Uh, I played when I was younger. I yeah, right, right. Long time. Yeah. But my friend David was like, I'm a big Living Color fan and you play the drums. We should go to this. I'm like, yes, yes, we should. Yeah. And he had this thing called a wave drum, which I'd never seen before. Right. It looks like the drinks cabinet on an airplane. It's like this. All oh, right, right, right. And they've got these like huge circuit boards they put in and out. Mm. And what it is, is it's a bendable rubber drum pad on the top. Holy shit. And each of those circuit boards is sample sets. And right. you get, okay, one hit, and then you can bend it and get a second hit, and the edge is something else. And he was like looping and sampling through that. And, he, and it was, and someone asked him, like, what the hell is that thing? He's like, it's a wave drum. It was too expensive. No one knew what to do with it. It's kind of terrible, like a bad Christmas, but I love it. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my God. I, like, I fucking go in for just like complete fucking excess drum kits with like mm. fucking 35 fucking octobands like you know like Terry Bozio kits like shit like you just like you know for a fact that he's never gonna play most of that shit in your average fucking song because he's just doing the five piece normal shit but hey if he ever wants to go like he can like, and he just fucking has like chimes and a fucking gong the gong always kills yeah, me if, if you're gonna China bring guns. a gong just fucking go it man just fucking I remember whenever I'd go past Billy Hyde when Billy Hyde was still a thing oh yeah 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 uh, and they would have those like China China symbols oh my god yes little, like furled edges and you're like yeah no they, you have like 20 of them in different like they're tuned to different yeah, notes. Yeah, yeah, like, Nobody wants that. <laughs> oh, it's so impressive because most people just need fucking one, maybe yeah. two, one or two. A crash and a ride yeah. and a hi hat. Yeah, 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 yeah. But you know, fucking oh, those tiny little ones, the ones. The splash, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh well, I just got my five hundred and fifty dollars worth. You know, <laughs> I'm glad I fucking nailed that one. Or even better is the tiny, tiny little fucking bell ones. <laughs> <laughs> Which make even fucking less of a noise than the, than the little splash ones. Yeah, they're hoping that one day Neil Peart's gonna walk by and go, you know what? That one. Yeah! <laughs> I need more! <laughs> <laughs> 
fucking pert, obviously. Yeah. yeah. That that that's one of the primo fucking excess kits right there. Just yeah. shit everywhere and the fucking big name on the bass drum and shit. Like that's yeah. when you knew you'd made it, when you could afford your own little fucking design on the bass drum, man. Yeah. And you've got a rack to hold your 32 tones. Yeah. And you have to you have you literally have to like go up. <laughs> Not just boom, like in front of you, you have to go. Like just above your head. You've built it like an astronaut's car. Yeah. Where you can reach everything. Oh. I remember uh, my friend Katrina was living in a very small flat and she had what I called an astronaut's kitchen. Right. Which was like a tiny little kitchen. Yeah. Only enough for like one person to stand in. But she had basically hung everything on the walls. Right. So she could stand at the stove and like reach everything in her kitchen like oh. an octopus playing the drums. That's huge. <laughs> like, she said, like, oh, do you want a cup of tea? Cool. And it was like someone was playing the organ in a cartoon. Like, yeah. This, this is great. How, how are you doing that? <laughs> fuck. Oh man, wouldn't want to dismantle that bad boy. <laughs> like fuck, it sucked when he had to move, hey. It's like, you're gonna redo this entire fucking thing. Drawers? <laughs> Where are we, Russia? So <laughs> 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 with that plan to go over. It's probably Courtney fucking off again. <laughs> See you, mate. Have a good one. <laughs> <laughs>